Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and a video cast where we teach you how to make money, how to, how to eat healthy while traveling the world. And speaking of traveling the world, we're currently now in Manila, Philippines. Just got here yesterday and I'm going to be doing a workshop, a TEDx talk and a lot of different speaking while I'm here in Manila. So make sure you follow us along at daddyblogger.com for all of the recaps on our social media, podcast, YouTube channel and more. And one of the things I love to do on my show is interview fellow world travelers, fellow parents, and I have an amazing entrepreneur, amazing author on the show here today. Her name is Chef Gigi, and she is a nationally recognized expert in children's culinary education. So all of you moms, all of you dads are in for a treat because we're going to be learning all about how do you help your kids eat more healthy and how to avoid picky eating. I, I have three kids. I got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old and you know it's been tough because they've all gone through the picky eating stage so chef Gigi has uh, published a, a great book just on the subject called food fight a practical hands-on guide filled with simple solutions so who doesn't want simple practical solutions i know i certainly do so chef Gigi is joining us from the san francisco bay area in the u.s north america how are you doing chef Gigi, today good morning thank you for having me ricky i'm a big fan Thank you, and uh, I'm a big fan of everything you're doing as well, and I look forward to getting some insights for me and for all of our listeners and viewers from around the world as well. So, Chef Gigi, uh, one of the things we like to do on our show is not just do the traditional bio that you'll hear in a lot of interviews, but we want to really get to know your story. And you have an amazing story as a mom of two amazing daughters, as author, as a chef for like 30 plus years. So why didn't you take us through the story? What made you so passionate about food? What made you a chef? And tell us the trajectory of your life story. Okay, Ricky. Well, as a parent, you're going to really enjoy this because, well, First of all, I've been a chef for a really long time. It was my passion when I was about seven years old and um, I have four older brothers and I couldn't get them to drive me to the store to get treats, right? So as um, as a, the younger sister, I ended up making my own things in the kitchen and just started drawing me into the culinary passion. And as I grew older, I always knew food and culinary was just my thing. And I really haven't done anything else. Um, I had a couple of side jobs early on to pay for culinary school because it is very expensive. But back in the day when I went to culinary school, it was about $30,000 less than it is today. So I continued on my, my path. And um, as I just naturally went through the, the, projection of my career from baker to prep cook to dishwasher, you know, as a dishwasher, as pastry chef, uh, culinary cook. And then I ended up working in the front of the house too, working as a catering director and uh, food service operators. And then I became full circle um, back in the 90s, and I was asked to come to my alma mater, which at the time was the California Culinary Academy, it was taken over by Le Cordon Bleu, which is a very famous culinary school all over the world. So I actually went back full circle 25 years later, and I went back to my alma mater, and I began to build their hospitality management program there. And during that time, 
ironically enough, I started to see the kids were coming straight to culinary school right out of high school and bypassing traditional academia college. So I thought to myself, well, this is really wild. Um, but who is tapping into the market prior to high school? And at the time, this is, you know, 15, 18 years ago, there wasn't really anybody in the field of culinary school for children. And also, um, you know, I am a parent myself. So I was a single mom. I have two girls. Currently, they're 20, 25 25 tomorrow is my oldest and then 24. So they're back to back. But when they were six and seven years old, I remember coming home from work one day and you know how you don't really want to take the kids out of the car the least amount of possible, right? So there's like after work, the crazy hour, right? Between five and 8 p.m. is absolutely nuts. Pick the kids up from school. Then you got to rush maybe to the dry cleaner, uh, to the bank, wherever you have to go. So I decided instead of me taking both the kids out of the car, I would go through the dry drive through ATM. I'm like, thank goodness for technology today, right? It's making my life as a parent easier. Sure enough, I go to pull out, I'm driving the car, I make eye contact in the rearview mirror with my seven-year-old at the time, and she says to me, mom, is that where money comes from out of the wall? If you can imagine <laughs> how, right? I was like, oh no, out of all the things that I'm doing, thinking that I'm doing all the obligations of parenting, there's the most important thing that I'm not teaching my children. And that's how the world works and how economy runs and how they can survive in our world as adults. So at that moment, I said to myself, okay, I really need to get on this, right? <laughs> so the next day I went to work and I was subbing small business management at Le Cordon Bleu because we also teach the chefs how to open and operate their own facility. And I remember looking out into the classroom and thinking to myself, wow, here I am teaching all these people how to manage, write a business plan, own, operate, um, to be an entrepreneur in the food service industry. However, I am not taking this to the two people that are most important in my life. And those are my children. So I would bring my work home and I would, I gave them appointment calendars. They were, you know, little. And I said, okay, let's schedule brainstorming meetings. I want you to come up with an idea for a business. And of course they naturally came up with the lemonade stand. Right. So I said, okay, that's fine. Let's talk about the lemonade stand. Let's cost out how much the lemons are, how much the cups are, what is your labor to set up and break down, and let's get a break-even point on how much it's going to cost for you to sell lemonade and then mark it up for your profit. Well, they did the math, right, because I'm anchoring academia to whatever it is I'm doing. And they said, Mom, there's no way we're going to be able to make a lemonade stand because... Um, we're going to have to sell it for like $4 a glass and no one's going to buy it. So boom, this is how my business was started. The kids said, why don't we open up a culinary school for children anchoring math, reading, science, and art, just like you do with us at home, mom. And Kids Culinary Adventures was born. And then naturally what organically formed from that was parents coming to me on a regular basis saying, chef, how can I get my children to eat better, shop cleaner, eat healthier in less time? So I started teaching to the parents. 
And then naturally my book, Food Fight for Parents Picky Eaters formed as a resource for those parents. Thank you for sharing the backstory. It's always fascinating to hear, I guess, incredible stories of how they generate uh, their business and how they came up with their book idea. So thank you. It was quite uh, interesting to hear the whole etymology and the origin story and the backstory there. And I love you. I love your whole passion for that, uh, the business you created, the kids culinary adventures. And when I look at what I'm doing, I'm basically teaching people business and travel um, and, you know, family business travel. And that's exactly the same thing. Kids is the family part. Culinary is the business part. And adventures is the travel part. So exactly. uh, look at that. There's a definitely synchronicity, synchronicity there. So in terms <laughs> of the kids culinary adventures, so uh, tell us a little bit more about how that works. It's a culinary school for children and teens. Uh, walk us through it. Well, um, now that my kids are older, I thought it was going to be a business, was it was going to be a family legacy. And then my children grew up and they decided that they really didn't want to do the cooking school. So they've gone on to their own passions, which is apparent I've had to let go a little bit and, and have some growth of myself and allow them to do that. So I actually sold the business model to uh, one of my students that grew up, but I still continue to teach. So what we did at the time for 15 years is I would build culinary curriculum, just like I was doing at Le Cordon Bleu for adult culinary students, but I did it in a way for the children and teens that they could understand. And then I wanted parents to have an added value. Why would my kid come to a culinary school as opposed to going to play in soccer after school or baseball or going to ballet class, you know? So I said, well, just actually my children were my market and they came up with the, the concept of anchoring academics through the medium of cooking. So we would do things, for instance, like we would have classes that were really fun, like, um, hey, you're a, a walk star, right? <laughs> and we would teach children about walk cooking. And then we would study the history. Like you will really love this. For instance, we would make pasta noodle class, right? And then we would talk about the archaeology of the noodle, right, Ricky? So all countries, look, everybody claims the noodle, okay? You have to know because you've been all over the world in 81 countries, right? How many noodles have you seen? You know what I mean? So this is what we would do. We would take that into the classroom, make the pasta, and during the culinary class, we would anchor this food archaeology, Mesopotamia, Italy, China, everybody's arguing over who invented the noodle. So we would anchor geography. And it was really great because the kids really, I started to see that the kids were really getting this and taking home the science, the math, the reading, and they would even go to school. I even would have calls from um, teachers that would say, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because you're getting my, my student really excited about learning. So that's, that's what we do. I still do it occasionally. Awesome. Uh, so Chef Gigi, uh, you have this book called Food Fight for Parents of Picky Eaters. And, you know, most parents have kids who are picky eaters. It's almost like all parents, you know. Maybe there's some exceptions where they have amazing <laughs> kids who are not picky ever. Uh, I think it's almost like uh, impossible. But, you know, there might be some parents out there. So uh, uh, before we talk about the book, I love to talk about the origin story of writing the book. So you had the idea. Tell us about like how did it go from idea to actually 
or getting written and then published. Uh, love interviewing authors about their whole uh, process to get the book from idea into the world. So tell us about that for yourself. Well, that was not an easy process, Ricky. <laughs> you know, first of all, because I was a parent and still am a parent, of course, you know, I have a busy, aware lifestyle parenting. And it's, you know, it's not too often that we get a little bit of downtime for ourselves. So to be honest with you, I've never told anybody this, but this book, Food Fight, took me eight years to write. And that's because I was so busy parenting, right? Eight years. So it just organically formed when I was you know, doing the culinary school, of course I kept curriculum. I have over three, 400 classes that I taught and a lot of them were to parents. And so it was really based, this book formed on my note-taking and my um, objective of really getting the information to parents. I'm really passionate about parents feeding their children clean. Today we live in a lifestyle that has, you know, so much junk throwing in our convenience foods, you know, and, um, you know, when you're out and about and you don't have the opportunity to cook at home, how do parents feed their family easy? And there's also other things in the book too. So I talk about why children are picky eaters and all the way through. So getting the information from my head into the paper pretty much took a village Okay. I had help along the way. Uh, I had assistance that, you know, I would jot down on napkins. Oh, type this up for me, stash it away. I'm going to need it. And then I had all these fragmented pieces. And, you know, as my children got a little bit older and I became a little bit more hands-off because I had to be right. No more running out onto the soccer field when somebody gets a sprained ankle. <laughs> so, you know, as I, as my children grew, I grew developmentally as a parent. So as time started to wear off where I was not as hands-on, but you know, there's still a lot of other parenting to do with older children. It's just a different dynamic, right? I was able to start putting my things together and um, the book started to naturally form. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't even really know I had a book and I was just writing and getting my thoughts out of my head and everything that I did with parents. And one day I said, wow, I think I have a book on my hands and a lot of my friends and family and a lot of my parents still, even like, you know, my, that are my friends now that used to be my clients, um, have grown up and they're like, Gigi, you know, you should really get this published. So, um, I ended up finding a dynamic publisher, John Kohler of Kohler Publishing in West Virginia and California. I mean, excuse me, in West Virginia, in the United States. And they have been really supportive of me. And um, the book was formed and here it is. Here it is indeed for everyone to grab a copy and uh, you know, implement those strategies. Uh, you have 60 different recipes, you have a whole bunch of different tips and uh, ways that parents can alleviate the burdens of having picky, picky <laughs> kids. Uh, so tell us firstly about, uh, before we get into recipes and some suggestions there, tell us about your tips and advice and uh, strategies for parents. What should we do as moms and dads to make sure that our kids eat what they need to eat? Well, okay, that is a really long story, but let's just touch some points because um, getting involved, and that's why my book is, 299 pages because picky eating is takes a while to get through 
And, um, but the first thing I really talk about is before we can fix a challenge, we have to know why it begins, right? So we have to go on the problem solving hunt. And during the process of me doing that, I was left with sometimes, you know, 15, 18 children in a class, myself and an assistant. And it was really my goal to teach children to teach their parents that let me show you how to make a chicken nugget that is not full of, you know, trans fat or all, all this crazy stuff. That's, that's not healthy. That was not naturally found in a whole foods. So I'd like to start in the book. I talk about um, why some kids are picky eaters, Ricky. That's, that's really important. And like all of us, children want to feel that they have power and control in their lives. Okay. So think about it. You're, you're three years old. Everybody is in charge of you. Okay. Where's the only place that you can exercise power is pretty much in chewing and swallowing. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) it's unreasonable for us as adults to force a child to chew and swallow. So again, picky eating to me and to, I think a lot of food professionals, but um, really often is where children are going to exert their power. So it usually works. Um, It's oppositional um, behavior, just like potty training, right? So we kind of see some similarities there. So, um, and then I think it's also important for us to examine sometimes how we parent. I, I don't often like to say that, but parenting is such a large mirror image of ourselves, isn't it? It's really, really crazy. So a lot of times, especially when we're new parents and we don't really, we don't know what we don't know. And I remember going through these processes as a parent and growing, like I said earlier, developmentally with my child as I grew as a parent. And some of the things that I started to notice was how I was presenting food to my children, how I was presenting how to eat the food, you know? And there's a lot of things that happen in parenting, you know, that we just, you know, you don't eat like, here's the baby, here's the book, right, Ricky? So you just kind of parent the way that you were parented and everybody's different or everybody has a different, you know, growth pattern of how they came up. And a lot of times, you know, parents will use these tactics like coaxing, bribing is a big deal, um, disciplining, which I like to warn parents about. And in my book, I talk about all these mechanisms that parents use to get children to eat and, and they don't work. So why do we keep repeating the process generation after generation? Let's find something that's going to actually be helpful to the parent for one thing, because we're already too busy. We don't need to sit at the table for an extra hour getting a child to eat one pea, right? Who has time for that today, Ricky? So um, I go through the process in the book and I talk about all those tools that parents use. And then I like to introduce what really worked for me when I was in class with these 18 um, students. And it's a technique that I learned when I was a young parent because I was so desperate for help. <laughs> I started reading a lot of parenting books and one, a, one, two authors, um, 
really, really drove home for me. And, you know, not every technique is going to work for every family, right? Because everybody is different. However, there's a book called um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and How to Listen So Kids Will Talk, okay? Um, and so I got involved in this and it really, it makes a lot of sense. So after reading the book, I started using the techniques and it's, it really talks about giving um, kids open-ended questions. So you're still in control, right? But you have, so the kid wants to be in its own power and control. So if you give them an open-ended choice, so for instance, it would work with, um, let's just say bubble bath time. Okay. So my daughter, Gabriella, she would never want to take a bath. So oh, it was horrible. So then I started to use these, well, excuse me, close-ended choices. So I have two things and I'm going to say, Gabrielle, do you want to take a bath with bubbles or without bubbles? And she would only have a choice. You know, she had to choose one or the other, but she still had to take a bath. Okay. So then I started using this in class with my students because, you know, you know what it's like to be in, in a room with 18 kids that are going wild. Okay. Let me tell you, I really needed some tools. <laughs> so it organically just formed for me. So, you know, we get to the point, okay, are we going to, um, do you want, uh, do you want to try it steamed or would you like to try it baked? Okay. So this was just a process I started to go through. And in my book, I bring that. So we talk about why the children are picky eaters, what we're doing as parents to support picky eating, how we can maybe change the way we are presenting ourselves as parenting um, to drive positive messages to our children instead of disciplining them. Because, you know, Ricky, there's a lot of things that are connected with food and food and trust are a really deep subject. So I think it's really important for, for parents just in the long haul. Now that I look back and I've done my 26 years, 25 years, I really think one message that parents need to understand is they need to be more patient. We need to slow down. We need to not allow the outside pressure of being a parent and the pressure of the world around us to drive us to be stressed out. And in turn, who really is the recipient of that is our own little children. And, you know, sometimes we're like, we get upset, we get, you know, tired and, and with food, you know, you just want them to eat and then you get nervous because they're not getting the nutrition they eat. So I go through the process through the book, and one of the ways that I actually get involved um, is talking about each stage of, of child growth, too, because that's important. Like, for instance, okay, Ricky, you have a toddler in your hands now, right? Your baby's, is your baby walking now, running around? Yeah, I got a little two-year-old. So the two-year-old's walking, running around, and like, uh, up, to, up to mischief. Uh, he's a okay. so, little guy to follow around. Exactly. Okay. Well, so here's, here's one of the things I talk about in my book. A lot of parents, well, you're a seasoned parent, but you know, maybe a new parent that has a toddler and they're trying to get the toddler to sit down at the dinner table and eat a three course family meal, which, you know, it's, it's not natural for um, a, a toddler of that age to sit down at the table. 
And so these are all uh, other things I talk about each stages of, of children and their developmental growth and how they're going to react. So that's just going to create another battle on your hands if you're going to fight with your child, you know, and um, so you have to keep in mind that, you know, like children between the ages of one and three year old, you know, they poke at their food too. You know, they're explorers of the world. So they need a busy explorer lifestyle when it comes to eating. You know, it's unreasonable, just like it's unreasonable for us to make them chew and swallow. It's really unreasonable for us to have them sit down at the table and, and, and not graze. So I talk a little bit about that. And then because I'm a chef, I finally get to the point in the book where how to make a parent successful with all this picky eating once you learn why the who what where when and why and how to start talking a little bit differently to your child instead of engaging in the battle how do you get your child to eat the food and then guess what ricky (laughs) if you go through all these processes that sometimes could take months guess what the food better taste good right (laughs) So that's kind of where my culinary expertise falls into the book, how to make a parent make their food taste good in little or no time, because we all know those hours between 5 and 8 p.m. Who has the time? So I add extra insurance in one of my chapters in the book. I love all the stages. I had a chance to look at your book uh, prior to the interview, and I love how you break it down and make it really easy for us parents because a lot of the times we think it's not easy and we think it's difficult. So uh, thank you for uh, providing these uh, simple, practical solutions. So one of the things you do, you've done also in the book is you've outlined different recipes for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, and, of course, can't forget dessert. Uh, so maybe give us some examples of some of your recipes. Okay, well, you know, I'm really big on um, families feeding healthy, because that's really important too to the developmental growth of children. And believe it or not, if children are not getting added sugars, and trans fats and shelf stabilizers, they're going to have better behavior for you too. So that's also something that parents should keep in mind. Your family should be eating clean. They should be drinking a lot of water. They should be getting proper exercise. And especially now with childhood obesity on the rise in the last um, couple of years, this is the first generation that might not outlive their parents because of childhood obesity. And that all goes back to our food supply. And that's really, really scary, Ricky. So inside the book, again, I talk about how to bring um, the child to the food. And when the food, when you get there, how to make the food taste good. So what I do is I teach families how to build a culinary arsenal. And it's super, super easy. And a lot of families are like, oh, well, maybe you don't cook. You know, it's okay. You don't have to. Um, Children eat simple. And if you're really eating healthy, if you really go in and you're shopping in the grocery store, no matter where you are, look and read the nutrition label, read the ingredients. How many things can you pronounce? I mean, really? Um, Today, there's an apple that's being formed that when you cut it, it doesn't turn brown. Okay. What? How could, how could that possibly, you know, are we, they're dipping, they're cutting things they're you know, for convenience packaging, we're all busy. So our food supply has actually come to the point where they're making foods shelf stabilized, ready, 
because of our busy aware lifestyle. So we all have to slow down. So in the book, I talk about, uh, for instance, green eggs and ham. It's fun, right? But now everybody uses food color. I mean, come on, it's not, it's dye. Do you want to put that in your child's body? I say, no, 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 no. Let's pull back and let's look at some green food. Okay. Basil. Children love the fragrant, mild taste of basil. A lot of kids will eat, a lot of picky eaters will eat pesto, but you have to, some kids are like really weird about the little specks and things like that. So I, in my book, I have, um, we put the basil pesto, not on pasta, but we put it in um, scrambled eggs and it turns the eggs green and it has a nice fragrant, mild flavor to it. And then of course, ham. Now let me tell you, ham is an umami ingredient. Okay. And let me tell you a little bit about umami. And this is where it drives home in my book about I tackle picky eaters through the science of flavor because I'm a chef for 35 years. And all chefs do this. We go through our food by implementing umami and umami. I have to go back and tell you, you, you and your listeners a little bit about that. Okay. So umami was discovered in 1908 by a Japanese chemist. Okay. And what it is, it's, it's a great topic of discussion and a great debate in the science community. But in 1985, when I was a young chef, I was very fortunate to be able to engage in this, right? Because um, I graduated from culinary school in the early eighties. So right about this time, this is when umami was actually recognized as a scientific term in the, um, in the science community. And, and what it is, it's, it's to describe the taste of glutamate and nucleotides. And umami actually represents the taste of an amino acid, if you can believe that. Isn't that crazy? Like a glutamate. And Without getting too, too technical, because, you know, I am a, a culinary professional. I'm not a scientist, although food and culinary does teeter on the, on science a little bit. Um, but umami is described as a very pleasant, meaty kind of flavor in your mouth. It's often associated with salivation and kind of right now, just talking about umami, I'm starting to salivate. Um, it coats our tongues. So inside of our mouth, we have on our tongue. We have bitter, sweet, salty, um, sour. We can taste these and they live on our tongue. Umami doesn't live on our tongue. Umami actually resides in certain ingredients in, um, in foods. So what I do, and in my book, I talk about the parents um, of picky eaters building an umami-powered um, pantry and you know what, Ricky, I bet you are a fan of umami and you don't even know it right now. So a lot of food pairings are with umami. Have you ever had a, like for instance, a, um, a, a salty pretzel dipped in chocolate? It's delicious. Yes, okay. of course or, I have. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah. And you love it, right? Okay. What about this other food pairing? How about um, some like gorgonzola cheese and a pear or how about some spaghetti and red sauce with a marinara okay so i have um, it today yes there you go so that's one of the reasons why kids love spaghetti so much is because tomatoes are high in umami based flavor so things like parmesan cheese shiitake mushrooms 
fish sauce. Okay. And I know this is crazy because a lot of parents say, I'll go, I'll put a little fish sauce on it. They're like, what are you crazy, Gigi? I have a picky eater. Why would I put fish sauce on something? Well, guess what? Fish sauce, it doesn't have really much of a smell. If you just use a little bit, you can pop it into your, even scrambled eggs. You can pop it into soups, stews, you can even pop it in your oatmeal. I know it sounds crazy, but you won't taste it, but your palate is going to pick up the umami flavor. So this is another arsenal that I built for parents to be able to go through the processes of learning about their child, tweaking their parenting a little bit, offering healthy foods, and then bringing the child to the food and having the food taste good. So it's extra insurance, Ricky. We don't want to go through all that work and then have the food taste horrible, right? <laughs> yeah, you're making me salivate too. Just hearing all the description of all these delicious foods, I am hungry. So thank you for that. I'm sure a lot of listeners of yours are like, okay, stop this interview. Gotta go get some food. So. Uh, Thank you for sharing. Uh, so one of my uh, last questions for you is, how do we incorporate this as traveling parents? I mean, a lot of our uh, listeners, viewers, we're super passionate about world travel and seeing uh, this amazing world and uh, we're hopping from city to country to continent and we don't wow. have a fridge sometimes and we don't have the luxuries of back home. So any tips or advice in terms of traveling parents and uh, traveling uh, families in terms of how we can incorporate techniques and strategies? Well, that's a really good question, Ricky. And, you know, first of all, I think it's fabulous that, that parents are traveling with their children because that's actually going to exercise the child's palate. So very, very children that are very young and are, are traveling the world are learning about different flavors. And um, I think one thing that's important when I traveled with my children when they were young, I always made sure that wherever I stayed, I had access to, um, um, you know, a place where I could cook. And this is really crazy, but I don't know if it's because I'm a chef or a parent, but you know, always have a cooler with me, right? I mean, what parent doesn't really, you know, you have your little diaper bag, but you know, you just have to really think ahead of time. You have to pack the cooler. You have to be able to bring these healthy snacks with you because a lot of times parents are eating, feeding their families on the run. They're going through these drive-throughs. And if you really think about it, it's just planning ahead a little bit. Let me give you a tip. Okay. Um, I know this sounds crazy, but on, a, on your down day, whatever day that is, I know maybe it's a, a couple of hours or a half of a day where parents can prep the laundry, whatever it is. You can meal prep on those days, okay? And, and then the whole week is going to be easier for you. Who has time to cook every single day? So in my book, I talk about that too, Ricky. For instance, kids are always eating pasta, okay? And if you add the tomato sauce and some vegetables into that, that's going to create an umami flavor. So the kids are going to accept it at some point. And um, you can cook a whole bunch of pasta, okay? I used to carry one of those um, burners with a butane tank. I know that sounds crazy, but it's really small. And sometimes I would keep all this stuff in the trunk of my car, wherever I was. I traveled across the United States with one of my kids and I had the whole back of the trunk of my car filled with everything I needed. And I would stop at rest stops 
cook. I cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the road with this little burner. And then I just had my ice chest. I would stop all the time. I would fill up my cooler and make sure that I had these healthy snacks all portion controlled down so I wouldn't have to deal with it. And one of the things I would do is I would cook pasta on the road and I would cook a whole bunch of it. And even if at your home, you can do this and you can cook a whole couple pounds of it sprinkle a little bit of oil on it so the starch molecules separate and the pasta doesn't stick together then you can put it in different portions boom close it up throw it in your bag and you're on the road it's pretty simple you just have to think ahead just like everything else in parenting awesome and you know at the day and age we live in there's this whole uh, movement towards uh, airbnbs and like staying local and right? a lot of those airbnbs actually have a kitchen and you can even inquire when you do your, your search and all you can look at the pictures and see if they have a kitchen okay. see if they have a fridge see if they have a stove and an oven so uh, you can even be more prepared and of course there's grocery stores and even in parts of the world like asia or latin america africa it's like much wow. more farm to table, right? Like, here in the isn't that beautiful? There's hardly, hardly any processed food, and it's like amazing because I've lost weight since I've been here, just from literally what? moving from Vancouver to the Philippines. Lost weight, like it's amazing, just because of uh, this change in scenery and just eating healthier and healthier. Yeah, non-processed, yes. whole food. It's a lot easier than we think, Ricky. You know, we're so busy as parents, we get overwhelmed with just parenting. And that's the last thing everybody wants to think about. You know, and then when the baby or the child is crying and screaming and tugging on you, another thing that parents are guilty of doing is like, here, let me give you what my nona used to do to me because I'm Italian heritage. She used to give me the kunanjo, which is the end of the bread, you know? Oh, here, have the kunanjo. So I'd be gnawing on the bread. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, I'm sitting down at a table to a full-fledged feast and I'm not hungry because I just ate half of a baguette. So we have to also think about that. If you want your child to sit at the table and eat, pull back on, on you know, giving them a snack before mealtime. And those are things that, sometimes we don't pay attention to that we are doing and we don't recognize that we're actually engaging in that. Awesome. I love all of your wisdom that you've shared with our guests here on the show, uh, Chef Gigi. Uh, for people wanting to find out more about yourself and about your business and of course about your book, uh, what's your website, social media, and how can they grab a copy of Food Fight? Well, you can find me. Actually, you can Google me. Okay. This is what I want to say. Just Google it. <laughs> so you can go to Chef Gigi and you can find me. I'll pop up and that can lead you to my website. Um, or you can just go to Gigi Gajero, G-I-G-I-G-A-G-G-E-R-O and dot com. And you can also find my book on Barnes and Noble, amazon.com. And here in the San Francisco Bay area, I'm fortunate enough to have a, one of the oldest bookstores in California sell my book, an independent bookstore called Books Inc. I'm really excited about that. Awesome. So I'll have those links below to your personal website and of course to the book uh, as well. So people can grab a copy and, uh, you know, implement it in their own lives so uh, they'll have help, happy, healthier kids. So, Chef Gigi, thanks so much. It was a pleasure and honor to be the host here. And uh, th thanks for coming on and sharing all about your wisdom, your culinary wisdom with our audience. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you for having me. And good luck in your travels and give my best to your family. I will. I look forward to sharing this interview with my wife and, uh, of course, the book with my wife as well. So Yay! thanks again. And uh, thanks, everyone. Yes. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this very inspiring, very
educational and very practical interview with Chef Gigi herself. Make sure you check out her website. I'll have the link below. Make sure you check out our travels as well at daddyblogger.com. And we'll catch up with you guys in the next episode. Happy travels. Happy healthy.